Is this your first time doing a live broadcast? This is. I'm a little nervous, because usually with podcasts, it's all recorded. So if I screw up, we can just edit it out. But I'll do my best <laughs> not to screw up. That's right. The pressure's uh, on. You are listening to... Hey, podcast listeners. This is Billy Brown, one of your co-hosts for the Urban Wildlife Podcast. On Tuesday, January 29th, I had the privilege of joining Issa Betancourt on her Bugscope live streaming cast on the Periscope platform. Our theme was Urban Creeps, which was a reference to the etymology of her pathology, which comes from a Greek word meaning to creep. And yes, this is connected to herpes, whose lesions appeared creeping out along the path of a nerve. Anyhow, Issa does most of the bug scope casts from the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia, where she works in the entomology department, and that's where I joined her. She's been doing it for a couple years and pulls in a few thousand viewers per episode to see her talk about bugs. Since we were at the Academy, we asked them to pull some urban snakes for us to talk about and to show off. Viewers chimed in with questions throughout, and it ended up being a, a sort of a general Q&A session about snakes, as well as our more focused conversation about the urban snakes in particular, urban garter snakes, that we had pulled out to take a look at. I decided to give the audio a quick edit and post it here. Now, Periscope is an audio-visual medium, so we do reference some of what we're looking at as we're talking. Please check out our website for pictures of the critters we discuss if you'd like. Also, Periscope is pretty interactive with questions coming in from viewers as we went. Now, we did our best to say out loud what people had typed in as questions, but in any case, please excuse the question interruptions. And last apology, the audio isn't fabulous. It cuts in and out for split seconds here and there. And all this adds up to some neat content, but in a rough format. So if this is your first time checking out the Urban Wildlife Podcast, hey, listen to one more before you judge the whole podcast on this episode. Uh, and everyone, please check out Issa's bug scope for the full experience. As usual, you can reach us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at HerbWildlifeCast, and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, all those are great ways to give us some feedback and offer some suggestions. And of course, please rate the podcast highly on your listening app of choice. Please also check to see if your town is taking part in the City Nature Challenge this year, an urban competitive bioblitz that's taking place in two parts. Phase one is April 26th to 29th, and that's the time to get out and capture observations on a naturalist. And then April 30th through May 5th, is the time to work on IDing those pictures uh, or whatever observations you can capture on a naturalist. It's going to be a blast and it's a great way to get our neighbors hooked on urban nature. Hello, replay viewers. Welcome to the broadcast today. My name is Issa, your host of the Bugscope, and today we have a special edition. Today is, well, kind of not a Bugscope, but I'm sure there's a way we'll be able to connect it back to bugs. Um, so today I have a special guest with me. We have Billy over here. Hey guys. Billy Brown, who runs the um, Urban Wildlife Podcast. Yeah, I produce that and co-host it with my friend Tony Crosdale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a podcast that he, he brought me on one time to talk about the urban insect collecting that I do in Center City in the fountain. So it's nice to have him over here on this scale. Which you guys can't see, but I can look right out the window and see the fountain. That's um, right. It looks, yeah. I mean, it's empty, no water right now. Yeah. We'll give them a, a sneak preview here. It's over yeah. here. There it is. It's very empty and no bugs in there right now. <laughs> yeah. Unlikely. Yeah, very cool. Okay. Right now. Nice. Yeah. 
podcast. So is this your first time doing a live broadcast? This is. I'm a little nervous because usually with podcasts, it's all recorded. So if I screw up, we can just edit it out. But I'll do my best <laughs> not to screw up. That's right. The pressure's uh, on. So you had mentioned in the last podcast, or last, the last bug scope, um, that you were talking about the term herpetology and what it comes from. Mm-hmm. And so does anybody know what it comes from? Like what the Greek root That's means? That's right. I didn't know what it meant last week. So now we have someone all right, so the answer is... Wait, let's give them a let's moment. Let's give them a minute. Because anyone wants to guess. Herpetology. How is it broken down? All right, go ahead. We'll go ahead. <laughs> All right. No takers. It comes from a word that means to creep. And so reptiles and amphibians were thought of things that are that literally that creep on the ground. And so a lot of people like to make a joke about the word herpetology. There's another word it kind of sounds like. And it actually turns out to have the same root because the infection herpes... This is the fun part. Uh, <laughs> creeps out. The idea is that you get little lesions that creep out along the line of a nerve. And so that's where the word herpes comes from. And so oh. they share a root. So every time makes, any, anytime you make a joke about herpes and herpetology, you're dead on. Mm-hmm. Creepology. Exactly. All right. <laughs> Creepology. If we were going to translate it, that's what works. Yeah. So Billy runs this Urban Wildlife podcast. He has a great interest in urban wildlife. And so I do. since we're talking about herpetology, her- urban talk- wildlife... I, I asked Issa to ask our friend Ned Gilmore, who uh, I think of him as the Academy's uh, reptile and amphibian guy, but he's got a bigger title than that, right? Um, I don't know what his exact title is, but I know that he manages the mammalogy collection, too. So I, I thought he's vertebrate collections, some yeah. guy or something like that. Oh, yeah. But, that's, yeah, that's probably um, it. So Ned pulled out some neat snakes for us to look Oops. at, and so we can start talking about the snakes, and have people when people have questions, you can go and chime in with them, um, mm-hmm. now that we know what herpetology means. So what I wanted to start with is a personal favorite of mine. This is a, a jar of dead milk snakes. Um, <laughs> and so did anybody, actually, here's another fun one. Anybody know how milk snakes got their name? What the heck do these snakes have to do with milk? Well, can we backtrack a little bit? Backtrack, go ahead. Yeah, so what makes a snake a snake? Oh, well, geez. All right, what makes a snake a snake? Um, someone who studies invertebrates, we need to know these things. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, the if we're gonna be really technical about it, snakes yeah. are just one kind of lizard. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so snakes are lizards, but lizards are not necessarily snakes. Correct. So uh, snakes, there used to be you had older ways of divvying up the tree of life, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so back then, um, they saw that snakes and lizards were closely related, but they thought they were sort of two branches. Now we know that um, if you look at the lizard family tree, you got a whole bunch of branches and snakes are one of those branches that then branched out some more. So the snakes are a branch of lizards that lost most of their legs. Um, there are other branches of lizards that have lost their legs. So if we're talking, let's say, about, like, there's a whole group of lizards called glass lizards. There are something weird called amphis bayonids. Yeah, I'll take it. Take it, right? <laughs> uh, That also have lost most of their legs. Um, mm-hmm. Some snakes have... Uh, still have hip bones a little bit mm-hmm. and have little claws next to the base of their tail. Wow. So if anybody, anybody out there ever had a, well, um, if you have like ball pythons or boa constrictors, uh, snakes like that, um, if you look at them at the base of the tail next to their cloaca, which is like their uniform, like their one multi-purpose opening at the back, uh, they've got two little claws. So these guys won't have them because it's a different kind of snake. But mm-hmm. um, so those are snakes that still have a little bit of legs. Uh, snakes, they have certain jaw features that are all the same, which I don't even know enough to go into, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a snake at home. What kind so of snake do you have at home? A corn snake. Oh, you have a corn snake? Very close related to these guys. Oh, really? Um, same cool. family. Cool. And so the uh, they lack hip girdles. Um, oh, okay. But they, yeah, so they can't, they, they don't have external ears. 
Um, so mm -hmm. if you're looking at some lizards also don't have external ears, but no snakes have external ears. Mm -hmm. um, all snakes have similar musk glands near the base of their tail, which is like not something you notice at first, but if you pick one up and your hand really stinks afterwards, that's mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that unifies all snakes. Uh, most snakes have ways they can sort of dislocate their jaws and swallow bigger things. And so these are things that make a snake a snake and not, as we usually talk about them, not a lizard, mm -hmm. um, not a turtle, not a crocodile or anything else like that. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. So now you had some time to think about it. Anybody know why these things would be called milk snakes? Milk snakes got their name. You know, that's actually pretty close. They ate cow milk so there was, from udders. So there was a myth that these guys sucked the milk from attacking cow. Oh, that's out what of Lars, cows. That's what you said earlier. Yep. And so <laughs> they, uh, they, they hang around barns a lot. Um, and they hung around barns a lot because they, they eat mice. Um, so these guys, adult milk snakes eat mostly rodents. Um, babies will eat other snakes, but the adults eat mostly rodents. Mm -hmm. And so farmers, I guess, would see these guys around their barns and think they were hanging around there for the cows and not for the mice. Mm -hmm. So that's how they got their name. In life, they're a lot brighter colored. Um, you see this a lot with snakes, um, I guess a lot of animals that they fade once they're preserved. Mm -hmm. And so the colors you see in the jar aren't exactly how they look when they're alive. Um, when they're babies, they got a lot of bright, kind of almost crimson um, coloration that those those blackbills will be a lot brighter. Um, and they get older, they get a little bit more of a brown color. Uh, mm -hmm. These guys are kind of on the small side, so these would be pretty bright when they were collected. Back in 19, is that showing the 1903 part? Yeah, yeah 1903. Right. There, 1903. So one of the things that I love about looking at these specimens is on the one hand you can be like, wow, this is gross. These are pickled snakes. Yeah. Um, and, oh, are they keep these in some kind of alcohol? Um, yeah. I, um, I asked Ned because I was curious yeah. and he said it's 70% ethanol. There you go. Don't drink it. Yeah. Just, it's what, the same as what we do with the insect specimens, which I was sort of surprised about. Yeah, it works. Um, but so these guys, uh, but in a way we're connecting right now with someone who collected these things over a hundred years ago. If you're someone who likes to get out there and look for snakes, if you're someone who likes to get out there and look for bugs, yeah. um, when you look at these old collections, you're, you're sort of building a bridge in a way back to your, to the people just like you who lived, you know, in this case, really close to us, mm -hmm. um, nice over a hundred years ago. Yeah. So I'm just trying to move this back so it's a little more. Yeah. So get more in view. All of us, yeah. I can ramble about these forever. So this is the kind of snake. <laughs> Let's see if there's any questions. Go for it. For yeah, moment. questions first before I ramble. Okay. Drink. Um, snake king have. Craig king asks if king musk. snakes have musk. Used to relocate, relocate to barn to keep vipers away. Either true. No. Um. So they have musk. Yeah. They definitely will make your hands stink if you catch them. But the way you that. You've experienced that before. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've never experienced <clears> that, but I haven't held that many snakes. You <laughs> catch more snakes in the wild when they're freaked out. It's the smell of success if you're looking for snakes. Um. <laughs> But these guys, uh, so these are actually the same genus as king snakes. Um, they just happen to be called milk snakes. If we discovered them again today, mm -hmm. because of how they're related, we would just call these some kind of king snake. Oh, um, so king snakes, uh, one particular species of king snake just got broken up, I guess. So a few species of king snakes are immune to venom from pit vipers. And so they, that's, why, that's how they got the name king snake, is that they'll find a copperhead or a cottonmouth or rattlesnake and mm -hmm. they'll just eat it. Um, so cool. And so it's, and then you see the the vipers in that case, the the cotton mouse and whatnot. They'll adopt like a very typical pose. Ordinarily, they strike, they, they get ready to strike at something and use their mm -hmm. venom to defend themselves. Um, when they see king snakes, they know that's not going to work. They evolved the knowledge that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, and they just sort of try to block them. How do they? Do you think that they they recognize the king snake by some sort of scent or the way it looks? 
Probably sure. scent. Um, most of the snakes we're talking about, especially the pit vipers, I mean, they're visual in the sense that like when they see the right thing moving in front of them, they'll strike at it and they can certainly see. Mm -hmm. um, but snakes, their lives are much more dominated by smell, by olfaction. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, they probably see something moving that's like a snake and they smell king snake and that combination is what does it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do snakes smell like cabbage? I've never <laughs> noticed that snakes smell like cabbage. Um, their musk, if we're going to talk about how they smell, mm -hmm. um, snake musk usually smells something like burning rubber or mm -hmm. that scent you get when a motor is overheating. Um, I guess it's ozone. Interesting. Um, yeah. So it's like that kind of acrid, bitter smell. Mm -hmm. um, and they're sort of different. They vary a little bit. So, you know, if you if, you, if someone wanted to do this, they could wave their hand in my face after handling like, or uh, we'll use a cotton swab, I don't know, mm -hmm. um, with garter snake versus rat snake versus king snake. I bet I could tell them apart just because oh, wow. it's, it's after a while, it gets, <laughs> you get used to, you get, get to associate them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, the question is, can two species of rattlers crossbreed and produce a more dangerous breed? Definitely not. I see right here that Frank Man is making the bug scope connection. Woo! Do snakes care about insects as food? Some of them do. Um, and I don't think we have any of those with us today, but um, if I had thought of this ahead of time, I would have asked Ned to pull um, some green snakes. Uh, we mm -hmm. have a couple snakes in this area, rough green snakes and smooth green snakes, both of which are, are mostly insect eaters. Uh, these are generally a couple, we'll say a couple levels up the trophic level from, or trophic, I don't know, ladder from um, insects. Because they eat other predators? They mostly eat other predators. These guys, I mean, with the rodent diet, um, they're also eating, uh, they're eating, you know, rodents. So these guys are found in Philadelphia. I want to keep this on an urban theme here. Sure, yes, um, please. So you find these in some areas of Philadelphia. I found my first one in 2005 in the Wissahickon. At that time, I had recently moved to Philadelphia, and I was like, mm -hmm. okay, neat, you can find milk snakes here. Mm -hmm. I didn't find another one there for 10 more years. And I ah. went back to the same hillside, um, same area. I found dead ones. I had friends send me pictures of dead ones. So I had a little obsession with these for several years, 10 years, um, until I found another one. Um, the mystery of it. Yeah, but, there's somewhere. These guys are really yeah. secretive. They keep underground really well. Um, <laughs> keep them safe. How about keep yourself safe from them? Oh, these are harmless. Maybe next time we'll pull urban rattlesnakes if we can find some. Oh, um, those but, exist? Yeah, yeah, in certain, especially out west. Yeah. yeah. But these guys are totally harmless. I've had mm -hmm. I've had more than one milk snake chew on me for a while, intensively wow. or, or. It didn't hurt at all. Oh, it hurts. Like a, it's, you get little pinpricks. Oh. Okay. Um, has anyone ever been scratched by a cat? Let's say. Do yeah, you have a pet I cat? have. Yeah. yeah. So you ever have, like, that's always worse than a snake bite. Yeah, they can send you to the emergency room sometimes. Sometimes, too, if you ever... bacteria or something. Exactly. Um, and sometimes you're holding a cat and it's trying to get off of you and it digs in with its back claws and pushes mm -hmm. off. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, that's way worse than anything this milk yeah. snake could do to you. Um, I have been bit by a snake before. Has anyone here been bit by a snake? Have, yeah, dogs. I mean, you've obviously been bit by a oh, snake because uh, you were just talking it's about... part of the fun, yeah. You've been bitten by a dog. That can be worse as well. My oh, sister yeah. was bit by a dog, Asha. Um... Yeah, I was bit by my corn snake, and oh, okay. you could say maybe I deserved it. I don't know, because <laughs> it got lost in the house, and then oh. it was really angry and really dehydrated and really hungry when we finally found it a month and a half later. Ah, oh, that happens, And yeah. so it was, like, so angry and so alert and lashed out and bit me on the hand, and I got the little pinpricks. And it wasn't that bad, but it was more just like my reaction, and I was just scared. Oh. It was like a normal human reaction. You get reaction. used to it, yeah. And, and But not at first. Yeah, I've been yeah. bit twice by my corn snake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it took a while for her, for him to recover from uh, being lost in the house. Yeah, In a house worse. of 13 college women. <laughs> 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 a couple of them 
not happy about it at all. That's funny. Yeah, that's that's the. <sighs> I, when I was a kid, I kept I've kept I've kept snakes as pets my whole life, and I stopped doing it as much lately because I'm much more into finding them outside now. Um, mm-hmm. When I was a kid, my little sister had a I had a snake, uh, a um, Florida king snake, I think, get mm-hmm. out the night or the day before my little sister was having her birthday sleepover, um, and she's gonna sleep in no. our living room. And then my dad, who come home late from work, like drags me out of bed because he found the king snake crossing the living room Ooh. where they were all going to be sleeping the next night in their sleeping bags. So, <laughs> yeah, I know I have Thank a lot goodness. of stories for yeah. real. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see a couple questions here. Yeah. Um, oh, hello, Andrew. Wait, is it worse than standing barefoot on a plug? Never done that before. Depends so on the snake you. that bites you, I'd say. And I imagine that standing barefoot on a plug would feel like a Lego or something like that. That so. hurts me. Yeah, it's a different kind of hurt, but yeah, it hurts a lot. Their, their fangs are a lot skinnier. Well, fangs, and let's say that... I guess the, that's why you're thinking uh, What these there. guys have aren't so much long fangs, but they have lots of little needle-like teeth yeah. that they used to hold on to prey and then walk their their jaws. These guys are actually constrictors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kill their, their food by wrapping around it and then squeezing it until... Um, it might be respirations, probably more that the blood flow gets cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to some extent they might like just snap their necks when they wrap around the mouse or something like that mm-hmm. and squeeze it. Yeah. Um, but their teeth are used to hold on and then pull food into their mouth. So there's like sharp little needles. It's not like cutting or anything Are like they that. barbed a little bit too? No, they point back a little yeah, bit. That's what I meant. That yeah. way when it, because in- I've watched my snake eat and it's like, she like inches her lips well, that's each, it's one side of her jaw at a time. Okay. Yeah. So what you're seeing is the is is if you could somehow do that through an X-ray, yeah. you would see something that's really fascinating in terms of like vertebrate morphology, which is an animal like taking apart its skull in a way, and oh, then like yeah. eating and then like putting it back together in the end. You know how yeah. they do that yawn at the end where they like, yeah, get, yeah yeah like like gets I don't know snap snaps back into place but doesn't exactly. really snap but get all their bones in the right place after that. That's cute that. watching that, her yawn. It is. It is. <laughs> Um, uh, can snakes be infested with mites or something like that? Oh, totally. Yeah. They have mites. Uh, they can have ticks. They have all kinds of interesting parasites inside their bodies. There's, I mean, a whole mm. separate field of study of, of all the different worms, using that term very broadly, that will end up in a snake's lungs or guts or, or yeah. liver or something like that. Um, so, yeah, they have the... And if you look at their scales, see that pattern of scales sort of overlap, overlapping each other? Yeah. That gives you a lot of nooks and crannies for mites or ticks to hook on. So for real, yeah. definitely. And I guess my other question going off of that is, are they more prone to getting ticks and mites when they've eaten food? And so their scales are farther apart from each other because their skin is more outstretched. I have no idea. That's okay. a good question, but I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. So and these guys we're holding up are something that's a lot easier to find in Philadelphia and really in most cities in the eastern and central Eastern and Central North America. These are garter snakes. In different parts of the world, they have other things called garter snakes. You spend some time in Borneo. Mm-hmm. They have things that are called, called garter snakes that are actually venomous. These are not. So these guys are... Uh, actually, if I, was, I was looking for like an urban snake or herpetology theme for this. Mm-hmm. And we're going with garter snakes. The milk snakes were just because I love them. Uh, these are much more... They make sense <laughs> of the topic. So garter snakes are something that you find... You fu- used to catch these in Washington State. I bet there's a few species of them in Washington State. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to... It's funny. People want to go out there for all kinds of other reasons. I want to go there to catch garter snakes. Um, so these are common garter snakes, Them Thamnophis sertalis. And it's a species that reaches all the way out to San Francisco in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And then through the southeast and central parts of the U.S. and a little spotty in the southwest. Um, and these guys are... 
Uh, they're mostly connected to water. You usually see them somewhere near water, mm -hmm. but sometimes no. I mean, you can find them in backyards in Philadelphia and different places um, that aren't right next to a stream. And you wonder what they're doing there. Um, um, do you see that question? Why are they called garter snakes? Because if uh, back before elastic, the way people held up their socks was with straps called garters that you then rigged to the socks. And you oh, think wow. of garter belts as something <laughs> sexy today, but like garters were something that just people used to hold up their socks oh, yeah. and they would have these lengthwise stripe patterns on them. Oh. And so snakes that have like bold, long, lengthwise stripes um, often get named garter snakes because they look oh, like the okay. particle clothing. So is it all one branch in the tree of life, the garter snakes? The garter snakes okay. usually think of them as one genus. So this Thamnophis. Oh, and so you have some Thamnophis snakes that are ribbon, also called ribbon snakes, mm -hmm. but basically they're just a kind of garter snake. Mm -hmm. How big do they get? Yeah. We're going to answer that. So hold on to that question because we're going to see some freaking huge garter snakes over here that were easily yeah. can attest to me just sitting there staring at them for a minute. <laughs> Ty says, yeah, I used to catch all colors. It was very wet in Poyalup, Washington. Well, so you have a kind of garter snake out there. Is it, actually, there's a few species in, in if I'm thinking of uh, Western Washington State, there's a few species of them, but there's one that's called the Northwestern Garter Snake, whose who's scientific name I'm blanking on. Um, but they come in a couple different color phases. One of them has a bright red stripe. Actually, I brought a book as a reference. Sure. This is a Northwestern Garter Snake that's on the cover of this book. So if you're catching these out in, uh, where you were in Washington State, this might have been the kind you were catching, among others, possibly. Yeah. Cool. Esau um, tried to post a video of the king burying under a cottonwood root before winter. Winter? Neat, yeah. What do you think it was wintering? Maybe, or we don't really know. Could be, could um, be. How many um, garter snakes does it take to squirrel? Light bulb? I don't know. <laughs> red-sided garter snakes, another species in Washington, but actually red-sided. If I'm getting this right, I think is actually a subspecies of these guys. Yeah. Um, there's multiple ones with red coloration, mm -hmm. um, and so these guys are looking a little blue in the jar. Um, I wanted to mention the... No, the I was going to ask about that. Yeah. These look, I don't know if you can see it, but they look a bit blue. So do you know, you, you might have talked about this, I don't know, but how blue coloration tends to happen in the animal world? Uh, does that have to do with red? No. Like, the only thing I'm thinking of right now is how one time when I put a leech in ethanol like this, the whole container turned blue, like this blue color. Ah, that's so that's not what I was thinking <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> so what I'm thinking is blue in the, in, the, in the animal world tends to happen from like really small structures, how they sort of... Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Iridescence. Iridescence, right? right? Like the morpho. Okay. Um, and so the... And oh, okay. So you don't usually see blue like pigmentation inside cells in mm -hmm. animals, but you see it in more in the structure of the surface of their skin or something like that. Right. Um, whereas yellow is something that you do see more as like chemicals inside the skin giving the color. So these guys are green in life. Um, okay. What happens is they oh, die right. and that yellow pigmentation, the yellow pigment deteriorates and fades away and it leaves the blue behind. Um, so you find these dead, let's say you find a dead one smushed on the road. Um, after a day or two, it's going to be blue and people oh, get excited wow. like, oh my God, I found this really special blue garter snake. No, you find a green garter snake that's just a few days old. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Are there any snakes out there that are just completely iridescent for that matter? I Not can't have to that ask that question. There are very iridescent snakes. They tend to be ones that live underground mm -hmm. and have super smooth scales um, to reduce their friction burrowing. Okay. Um, so there's a great snake called a sunbeam snake mm -hmm. um, from Southeast Asia that actually, or, or, or where you've traveled, you might have seen, you could see them. Mm -hmm. um, there's, uh, and, and so that's an example of one that's really iridescent. There's a group of boas. Um, 
actually boa constrictors are a little bit iridescent, but there's a group of them called rainbow boas, mm -hmm. um, which I used to have as pets uh, from Central and South America. Oh, cool. And so they have, they're, the name implies, they're really iridescent. You put them in the sunlight and it's just like, it's like the oil on a, or the sheen of oil on a puddle, you know, it looks like that. Uh-huh. Sometimes my corn snake looks a little bit, has like a little bit of rainbow. A little sheen. bit, a little bit, yeah. So that's sometime you should check out a rainbow boa and it'll be, uh, it'll yeah. be pretty impressive. So if you find a snake that's dead that looks blue, you usually are like, oh, it's a green snake. Right. Or it was green. There aren't very many actually, and there are some, but like there's a, there's a subspecies of these guys that um, are, are more blue, uh, but you don't see a lot of them. It's, mm -hmm. it, most of them are actually, actually Puget Sound, the subspecies up there, um, can often have a little bit of blue coloration to them. Um, but yeah, these guys are green. Um, look just like this, but a little bit mm -hmm. more color to them in, in greener in real life. That's really, um, matches the color blue. There's blue hearts over there. And <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, so these are snakes that <laughs> like, you can find a lot of places. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you if you are someone who's like in, into getting out there and looking under rocks, which if you're watching a bug scope kind of periscope, you might be into looking under rocks. You can mm -hmm. find a lot of garter snakes that way. Um, cool. So, hey, um, if they live underground, how do they keep warm? Um, not all of them live underground. Uh, so the um, so these guys are actually mostly above ground. I mean, mm -hmm. they'll hide underground, but they come up to the surface to bask in the sun, or they'll find an object that is close to the surface. So they'll get under a rock or a piece of bark that's on the ground, or they'll get under um, artificial covers. So you might find them under like a piece of trash that absorbs sunlight. Um, and gets warm, and they'll be right underneath it. Mm -hmm. And also in the winter, sometimes the ground is the warmest too. Yeah, right? the ground underground, it's, underground. It's, it's like a steady fifty-something degrees, right? Okay. If you get far enough down there, below the mm -hmm. frost line, um, and uh, yeah. So, yeah, cool. We got so, a request for some more snakes. We got more snakes then. Snake we're, we're, we're here for you. Um, so Hi. this right here looks really dull. Um, like literally, the coloration's dull on it. In it life, is. it'll be more of a richer chestnut kind of color. Um, these guys are called, where's the head on this thing? It's in there somewhere. Oh, there it is, all right. So this is called a short-headed garter snake. <clears throat> sure enough, it's got a little head. Um, oh, right here, I'm yep. gonna hold this up. So these guys are worm specialists. They mostly eat earthworms. I can kind of see it, it's very shiny. If you're from reflection. the Midwest, there's a kind of snake called a butt, a butler's garter snakes and then the plains garter snakes that are in a species complex with these guys. But these short-headed garter snakes are from the, they're native to parts of the Allegheny Plateau. So this is like uplands, hilly areas in Pennsylvania and Southern New York. Eastern um, USA. In Eastern USA, thank you. Mm -hmm. Do the snakes have necks? Kinda, but really like after the head, because a neck, when you think of a neck, it's like the space between your shoulder and your head, right? They don't have shoulders. So it's hard to say or where snakes. exactly the... They don't need shoulders. Yeah, where the neck ends and where the the, the trunk begins, I guess. Mm -hmm. So these guys, uh, they're from parts of the Allegheny Plateau, but they actually pop up in some old industrial cities that aren't right next to the Allegheny Plateau. So I've gone to Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, which, which is like the opposite side of Pennsylvania from where we like are It's like the right far now. corner so of the state. It's on Lake Erie. And then I've gone to Pittsburgh, which is in the southwest corner of the state. We're currently, it's about five and a half hour, six hour drive from here. And there are urban, so in cities, like vacant lots, railroad tracks and stuff, <laughs> populations of these guys, hundreds of miles near, in Pittsburgh's case, from uh, the Allegheny Plateau. And so it's a bit of a mystery how they got there. 
two two hypotheses I've heard. One is that they hitched rides on timber and other industrial mm. materials and stuff that were being shipped from mm -hmm. their native territory down to to factories and to just industrial activity in Pittsburgh in, let's say, the late 1800s or like 1900s. Mm -hmm. The other one from a friend who's also a, a herper out there in Erie is that people went on vacation. Mm -hmm. They went up the mountains to their mountain cabin, brought the yeah. guys back and let them go near their houses, and that's how they got established. But either way, there's some economic or recreational connection between... A bit of mystery there. Yeah, there's a totally human-transported population of these guys. So these guys are... Pennsylvania lists them as a sensitive species. So they're not just because of the small, how small the range is. Mm, yeah. but so they're endemic? They're endemic to Pennsylvania. Like uh, to the area, they, to the region? Yeah, they get up a little bit into New York. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, neat snakes, but with a strong urban story to them. Cool. But don't look so special in a jar. <laughs> they, well, do have a nice, they do have a nice stripe on the back, and it looks sort of well, purplish. Yeah. Is it green normally? It's this purplish, is a, bluish. a chestnut color. Here, I'll show you guys. So if straight. you think just really pretty woodwork. It's striped, it's very subtle, but pretty nice, I'd say. Yeah. But there's also probably variation in color, maybe? Not no? a whole lot in these guys. Your eastern garter snakes that we held up before, there's a lot of variation with those. Mm -hmm. um, how bold the stripes are, how much checkering they have. These guys, they pretty much all look like that. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. They're also, I mean, they're just neat snakes. Mm -hmm. uh, Let's do it. Yeah, I wanted to mention, we were talking about the eastern garters. Mm -hmm. um, and we can pull, I'm going to pull up a picture of a San Francisco garter snake, um, but that's just another subspecies of these guys. Um, but whereas in Philadelphia, you still have a lot of wetland or, or just ponds, streams, et cetera, et cetera. In San Francisco, the San Francisco Peninsula, you've been there? I've been to San Francisco, yeah. Do you see a lot of like ponds, streams? Not anymore. Right, okay. <laughs> so they're pretty much endangered right now because their habitat's all been developed. Do urban snakes speak street slang or can they converse with their rural, rural relatives? You know, that's an interesting question. They have no language. Um, oh. Now, interesting question to me though is how do urban populations of animals end up varying from their, their rural neighbors? Um, I don't know how much of this has been studied in snakes. I do remember so there's a book that that I think you and I both might have read when Nature when Darwin comes to town. Yeah. Darwin comes to town by Menno Schultheisen. Yeah. And so this is a book about book. how evolution happens in cities as new types of habitat for animals, right? And mm -hmm. plus too. But so he talks about a kind of a of a lizard in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican anole, and how how the how these anoles have evolved different different toe lengths oh, or yeah. leg lengths. Story. To be able to to be able to live more on concrete buildings as opposed to on trees and bushes, so that mm -hmm. can happen. So you're mentioning a marsh. Good point. Where San Francisco garter snakes can come from, and so we'll see if we pull them up. But I'll just talk about those. I wanted to mention just because they're they're actually rather endangered. It's really the same kind of snake. If you had San Francisco garter snakes out here, I bet you they'd do great just because the habitat's here. Mm -hmm. um, out there, it isn't. Um, it's a cement jungle out there. The cement jungle. Yeah. Um, there's actually also a Chicago garter snake, which also is limited in range right around Chicago. But Chicago's got a lot better garter snake habitat. You got a lake. I mean, you have rivers. Will we lose a lot of cold, a lot of snakes with the cold weather snap that's happening right now? No, probably not. When, it'll probably be beneficial in a way. Like maybe it'll kill off some invasive species, at least in the entomology maybe. realm. Yeah. Because cold, cold snaps like this sure. traditionally. Are normal, right? The temperatures that it's going oh, yeah. down to right this now. This is normal. a cold snap now. So in a way, it's a good thing for fifty the years ago. This wouldn't have been environments. Yeah, exactly. Um, so our native snakes mm -hmm. are adapted to colder weather than this, right? So they they'll find the, the depth they're comfortable hibernating at, and that should be fine with the cold snap. 
What would be the main species of a snake before it gets subspecies? That's, um, a, that's a little bit of a confusing question. I mean, so the way it happens is that, you know, the, the folks who are out there finding or de describing these for the first time think it's a little bit different, but not different enough. Um, there's lots of interesting questions about the subspecies. You should see some kind of gradient of them make, like mixing gradually with the subspecies next door as opposed to some sharp line where it's very different on either side of it. Yeah. When you get into the questions of what the genetics look like, I, 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 stuff I'm not an expert in, but um, it tends to be how things get species get defined today, um, as long with morphology. So, so it's hard to say firmly. Are pythons ruining the Everglades? Um, maybe. Uh, I mean, they might be eating a whole lot of stuff. I've read a little bit about them being linked to. Ooh, that's a good picture. Um, of of them. <laughs> sorry, I look at the call screen. Um, Issa pulled up a picture of a San Francisco garter. So they're that's, pretty. we're talking about San Francisco garters. That's what they look like. That's stunning. Like shockingly beautiful snakes. They're closely related to the California red-sided garter snake, which has got a bigger range that looks kind of like that. Um, it has a subspecific name, Infernalis, like infernal garter snake, because they look kind of this kind of devilish, like bright red look to them. Yeah. Um, so it's a neat snake. Yeah, super cool looking. And now I'm going to talk about a much duller looking garter snake. We're going to alternate like pretty Christmas and not pretty. Snake. Do they stand out with their colors? That's a good question. Um, so oh, I don't... You're saying they stand out with their Oh, they colors. do stand out with their colors, yes. <laughs> I had a question I wanted to pose to people. What do you think the point is of stripes? Like, why would you have, like, a lengthwise stripe on an animal like this? Like, a bold stripe like that. And does horizontal versus vertical matter in the snake world? Do they see kind of. different things? So I'll say you tend to see it looks longer. I, not I have a guess, quite. too. When um, they're done guessing, I'm going to guess also. Okay. So you it's tend longer. to see lengthwise striping in snakes that move faster and are more active. Oh, okay. Nope, that are <laughs> faster and more active. All right, no guesses? Wait, for the long ones you're saying? Not long, just the lengthwise stripes. Yeah, the ones that go all the way down their backs. Like this one. Like so this one. So you're asking why they're like that. Why are they like that? And you're saying that the ones that are faster tend to look like that. Yeah. Not all fast snakes look like this. You mentioned mambas, which are very fast snakes. They don't look like this. But um, mm -hmm. you often see this patterning in really fast snakes and it has to do with how your eyes perceive them when they're crawling away. Oh. So if you, when you try to catch garter snakes that look like this, you'll find yourself reaching for them, mm -hmm. and they're oh. not there. <clears throat> and you're like, wait, I was just looking at it. Oh, but what I happens see. is as they move, <laughs> your eyes misperceive this, like a point on its back as a, as a, as a static point, when really the snake is moving through that point. Um, and mm -hmm. your eye doesn't follow the, the, the movement of its whole body. It's what helps but, with that illusion. So you reach for it and it's gone. So basically because <clears throat> when you look at it, it has the same stripes going down so you can't keep track of the movement as well. Exactly. Where if it's lines, you can see how fast the lines are moving in your field yeah. of view. Yeah. And so cool. so you see this. So you mentioned, someone mentioned blue racers. Indeed a fast snake. Um, upper Midwest uh, common racer subspecies. They're uniform in color, can have some of the same impact or same same effect, but there are closely related snakes to them called whip snakes, especially in the Southwest uh, United States down into Mexico. And those guys have that same lengthwise striping pattern mm -hmm. um, and they are super fast. That's really cool. Yeah. So now for another kind of garter snake. Yeah, movement camo as opposed to hiding camo. That's the way of, I put it, yeah. Yeah. So this is a another doll snake called a, what was a two-stripe garter snake? Hammondy. Uh, double check in the comments. I can't numbers. wait to knowledge drop that one on some people. Me yeah. too. I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> and, and you should all get out there and try to catch more garter snakes. 
Um, yeah. It's fun. They'll bite you. You'll get you'll bleed a little bit. You'll smell bad, but it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's good for <laughs> so dinner parties. So fast snake to have. Fast snakes have racing stripes. That's another way to put it, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, Hamdi, well, two-stripe garter snake. Are there any dangerous garter snakes? Um, so I mentioned before that there are garter snakes with the same name garter snake that are not related to these guys at all. Um, and so those that are from Southeast Asia are dangerous. They're related to cobras. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't want to get bitten by one of those. These guys are not dangerous. Arguably, they have toxins in their saliva that might make a difference to like a frog. They eat frogs, fish, can be generalists, also eat slugs, worms. So you, you might, it might be that they, when they bite a fish, the saliva is enough to, to sort of like make the fish dizzy or the equivalent mm. of that, or make a little, like drop its blood pressure in a way that sort of makes it a little woozy. Makes it weaker. And that helps them. But they don't have the fangs or really potent venom that would have any impact on people. Mm -hmm. um, if you ever have one of these chew on your hand for a minute, which can happen. Um, Has that happened to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it'll, it might swap a little bit where it bites you. It might bleed longer than you think it should. Mm -hmm. um, you'll sort of wipe it off and think, oh, it's tiny little pricks. It, you know, I'm, I'm fine. And you are mm -hmm. fine. But you look down and your hand's still bleeding like five minutes later. Um, and so I'm moving that's, around, guys. that's sort of those toxins in the saliva. Um, mm -hmm. So snake venom is evolved from saliva. Yes, it is. Snake That's venom really is cool. basically highly evolved saliva, mm -hmm. um, where the salivary glands, the saliva glands that had the venom that that produced it, just got more specialized. The apparatus to deliver it got more specialized. So yeah, and you see this continuum in snakes, from snakes that don't have any real, that don't seem to have any mechanisms. These guys actually, I know these guys do have have slightly larger teeth in the back of their jaw. I'm pretty the face sure is, the face is down there. And then you have Four steps. we got we got some other ones. Okay, but we'll get to ones with good faces. Okay, um, you have other ones that have like enlarged teeth with grooves on them, and then you go all the way up to the ones that have like hypodermic needles, like your rattlesnakes or your cobras. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a continuum of sort of like toxicity and uh, specialized teeth for delivering it. All right, that's really cool too. I I didn't think about that either. Yeah, saliva thing. So these guys are from L.A. This is uh this one was collected in Ventura County, but right near Los Angeles, um, mm -hmm. in 1903. If you look at, um, we're gonna talk a little bit about iNaturalist maybe later, but if you look mm -hmm. up iNaturalist and check, um, the same species, Thamnophis hammondi, and look for people finding those, you can find a whole lot of observations around Los Angeles. So these mm -hmm. guys live around waterways. They're pretty aquatic. Again, this one's from 1903. I love those snakes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was I was remarking earlier how, before the broadcasts, how snakes, I was asking Billy, like, all snakes can swim? Yes, all snakes can and swim. And all snakes can swim, which is so funny to think about. They don't even have hands, but somehow they're just, like, able to swim with their muscles. And yeah, they wriggle through the water. They know how to move. I was and then saying, there's humans who don't know how to swim. I was saying that, like, most, most as far as I know, most vertebrates know how to swim I mean, birds might not be that good at it but or flying squirrels i can't really imagine a flying squirrel swimming could you i don't know i'm trying it's interesting <laughs> Maybe, yeah it's, it's interesting hard to question. think about yeah. um but uh what's weird is that we don't know how to swim instinctively yeah um, you drop a, a cat in the water it won't like it but it'll swim you know mm -hmm. um so these guys are and elephants even okay, elephants can ahead. swim <laughs> Because these are snakes that I, I don't get to see often. Thanks, the, Tom. We got two species from Mexico City. So we're continuing with this, like, urban garden snake. Who's been to Mexico City? You have? I have not been. I've One been day there. 
but I wasn't looking for snakes, and so I want to go back now and look for mm-hmm. snakes. Okay. So Mexico City used to be, like, before colonization, was like an Aztec city surrounded by lakes and marshes. Um, so there's a lot of aquatic stuff from mm-hmm. around there, and there's some areas of the city that still have water and still have that kind of habitat. Mm-hmm. This is this is from Mexico City, and you see the tag. It huh? says Xochimilco. Um, Xochimilco is like an area now of Mexico City that still has some of these lakes, mm-hmm. um, some of those marshy areas. Is it protected? Kind of. And this is, we were just talking about how there's a kind of an animal we weren't able to do today that could be a whole mm-hmm. topic for another cast called an axolotl, which is a kind of salamander. Um, and there's work to try to protect them. And there's a really awesome habitat. joke that Billy knows. We're going to save it. Axolotls. No, we're <laughs> Yeah. No, we don't have axolotls. We're not telling the jokes. Yeah. Um, so, um, but these guys. Uh, <laughs> But these are a largely aquatic kind of garter snake that lives in those areas and came from what is now one of the largest, new largest city in the hemisphere, pretty close to it. Um, anyhow, Hello. so these are some neat urban snakes from Mexico City. They're black-bellied garter snakes or Thamnophis melanogaster. We're finishing up with some really special snakes. These are beasts. All right. These guys are, is the head in the, yeah, big that. Um, so this is another kind of, this is commonly referred to as a Mexican garter snake. But if you're used to garter snakes, these suckers are big garter snakes. Ah, man, these are awesome. These are from Mexico City also, and also from Xochimilco. And these guys, when we looked on the, when I was, I was, before this episode, I was going through an online portal called Vertsnet, um, which is a way you can look at museum collections of vertebrates. Anybody in the world can go access it. You can look at what I was looking at yesterday morning. And so I was looking for, I filtered it down to the herpetological collection for the Academy of Natural Sciences, where we are right now. Uh, I was looking for specific places. I was like looking for Mexico City, looking for the genus, Thamnophis, um, for garter snakes. And I saw these guys, and then I saw who collected them. These are from the collection of Edward, Edward Drinker Cope. Does anyone know who Cope was? I don't, I should know more about who he is. The name rings a bell for me. Oh yeah, it should. <laughs> well. Give it. Pickled pickle snake. snake. Yeah, yep, we got pickled snakes. But these are pickled snakes by Cheers. a really famous... Cheers, I know. Ugh. <laughs> um, these are snakes pickled by an incredibly Cheers famous paleontologist. So, Edward Drinker oh, Cope. Okay. Um, the Cope family is the wealthy old family. The Drinker family also. Wealthy mm-hmm. old families in Philadelphia. Uh, old Quaker families. So you find a lot of things named Cope or Drinker. Um, but Edward Drinker Cope, uh, he was a leading paleontologist going around the world, around the country, finding you know, dinosaurs and, and various extinct vertebrates. But he also did a lot with living reptiles and amphibians. Mm-hmm. And he sort of engaged in something that's sometimes known as the Bone Wars with a guy, i got to look at his name because I can never remember his first name, Othniel Charles Marsh. It's always like Cope versus Marsh, but Marsh's first name is Othniel. How many mm-hmm. Othniels have you met? But none, none exactly. <laughs> yeah, so Othniel Charles Marsh. Marsh cool was, name, is a really cool name. was out of the Peabody Museum at Yale. Mm-hmm. So another major museum for natural history. And they basically raced around trying to compete, sort of competing personally in who can name more species, who could get to a new species first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a snake that Cope held. <laughs> Sorry. That's uh-huh. so cool. Uh, yeah. For someone who's into herpetology, this is awesome. Um, can you relate it to something else? Like, what do you mean? A sport or something like that? Or like if... This yeah, like no, he's a giant of paleontology. Like, I'd be holding, I mean, like, Messi's 
cleats or something Messi's like that? Messi's because, like, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, but, well, a, a ball that Babe Ruth had hit, let's say. It's not as bad exactly, but, like, if you're like, oh, here's a ball that Babe Ruth, like, hit a, a double on, you know, like... Babe Ruth is a famous Ameri uh, baseball, American baseball player. <laughs> there you go. Um, this or, is a pen that... This is an art in the world of herpetology and paleontology. These are some neat snakes. Um, but in terms of our garter snake theme, what you're seeing in the size is, uh, and this is something I was talking about, and I don't, and there's probably garter snake experts. I was telling Issa, I'm not actually trained in any way as a herpetologist. It's something that some people yeah. are birders. I didn't realize that. Yeah, well. He's a um, serious amateur. I'm a serious amateur, exactly. With expert level knowledge. Well, I think you are an expert in a way well, from studying them and examining them and working with them and everything for so long. I'll take that. All right. Yeah. Um, so. Your experience. But they, uh, what you notice with garter snakes is that the garter snakes out east, mm -hmm. where you also have another genus of snakes called water snakes that are closely related but bigger mm -hmm. um, and tend to handle bigger prey. The garter snakes are smaller out here. Once you get into the west, where there aren't so many water snakes anymore um, in Mexico, you get bigger species of garter snakes. And so I just think it's, it's them occupying niches that we see out here occupied by water snakes. I mean, just the fact that they're 100 years old plus. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, and Tom, it seems like Tom is familiar with Cope, or unless he's just reading the Wikipedia page or something. <laughs> um, Neo Lamarcus, I don't know about that part. He says that. Uh, How does a snake Cope, not dissolve in the Cope juice? Cope had a feud with Othniel. Exactly. Known as the Bone Wars. I think we just said that, yeah. He's like, caught you know, me, haha. -ha. Uh -huh. There you go. <laughs> um, um, does the snake not dissolve? Just like how the bugs don't dissolve, I guess. But yeah, because is it because I don't know? But just I guess it is it's a good question. I'm gonna say something dumb, which I think is just because alcohol is maybe not much of a solvent mm -hmm. um, for for tissue. Um, I mean, it's uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I also know that you fix these with um, formalin first, mm -hmm. and so I'm not sure the details of the chemical processes with preservation of of animals. But um, mm -hmm. alcohol doesn't seem to dissolve them because here they are 100 years later. <laughs> yeah, still there. I was surprised that it's not something else besides ethanol. But I know periodically they pop them off. Um, mm -hmm. and maybe sometime you could have Ned down here and Ned could talk a little bit more about Ned Gilmore we are talking about before as someone who is an expert on how to preserve things. Yeah. Um, so he would know more about uh, how the chemicals work and, and what you have to do to maintain them over time. Yeah, I got, he's the one who manages this collection and I, he, he made, created a, a form a form for me for taking out the specimens for today's broadcast. Very official. <laughs> Authorized. You don't want someone to lose Cope's with my address. <laughs> Mexican garter snakes. You got to keep track of where they are. I know. Right? That's true. Yeah, it's true. I was like, it makes it's sense. It's like a library, you know? It, exactly. I, I took out these books for us to examine. Today. Yeah. Um, and Ed's been, I've done this before. I mean, I, I remember I had a, an interest in a certain kind of Southeast Asian group of snakes with odd teeth. And I was like, Ned, can I check out some of your kukri snakes and he's like sure um <laughs> that was neat um so that was like yeah. a, that's what i got on on garter snakes so thank you for joining me today on thank the you isa for having me it's please a lot come of fun back another yeah. time whenever you like and maybe we can go out in the field sometime and flip some brown snakes we're gonna have a good time yeah, yeah. i can look at bugs and brown snakes there we go hey we hope you like this audio from uh, my appearance with Issa Betancourt on her bug scope periscope cast or periscope scope. As usual, uh, of course, you can reach us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com and tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at urbanwildlifecast and you can find us on Facebook. 
please rate the podcast highly on your listening app of choice, and please also do your best to take part in the City Nature Challenge, an urban competitive bioblitz taking part uh, in two phases, phase one, April 26th to 29th, to get out and, ob- and observe some stuff on iNaturalist, and then an identification phase following that, April 30th through May 5th. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a great time um, getting out there and, and, and sort of sharing urban nature with everybody, and it's a great way to get all of our neighbors hooked on urban nature.